And away we go. And we're live. Hey, guys, how are you? It's uh, Crafty or Craig from Craftworks Distillery. And this is Aussie Craft Distillers shooting the shit. So um, tonight we're going north. We've been south. We've been west. We've been east. We've been east? No. (laughs) We have not been further east yet. (laughs) Oh, yes, we have. New Zealand. No, we went to NZ. New Zealand, yeah. Yeah, we did. So yeah, yeah. So so we we've and been the US. Ex- if you keep going a long way, then yeah, that's. I mean, yes. It's still east. <laughs> well, it was last time I looked in the geography book. Anyway, we're here with Rick Rosser from Calki uh, Moon. Rick, how are you, mate? I'm great, mate. How are you? Very good. Very good. So Luke. um, you go. No, you go. I'm just saying good day to Luke as well. Hey, Luke. Hello. I don't matter. <laughs> no, I was getting there. I was getting there. I'm, Luke. Good. I'm cold, but I'm good. A couple more Luke's... whiskeys and I'll warm up. No, I'm doing great, mate. Yeah, no, thanks for having good. me on the show. Appreciate no, it. No, no, thanks for thanks for coming on. It's uh, it's good. We've we've had a real good um, mix of people. Um, so it'll be good to to hear your story and you know, where it all started, where you are now, and and what your plans are and everything. So we'll, we'll rip into that shortly. Yeah, but sure. uh, first things first, um, Luke, what are you drinking? I am drinking... King Lake? Yeah, your new bottle. Yeah, one of my new... I, I somehow ordered two. Two arrived. <laughs> and um, I did actually pay for two. Uh, and I'm um, I'm not upset about that. <laughs> one of my all-time, one of my favourites, I think. It's just yeah. an absolute cracker whiskey. It is, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I reckon I'll get through two bottles pretty quickly. <laughs> have to put a standing order in, I reckon. I might have to. They're going to have to do a subscription service or something, so I don't have to think about it. It just arrives like a happy surprise. Just turns up. Definitely. One less thing to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And what about you, Rick? What do you what do you got, mate? I am flying the flag for Queensland. Right. And I'm drinking Nil Desperandum rum from the Sunshine Coast. So that is the boys. They also go under Cavoo Distilling and do Sunshine and Sun's gin. Right. So yes. Matt Hobson, um, Michael Conrad mm-hmm. and Adam Chapman, head distiller. So supporting the Queensland guys with their rum as we um, get closer to releasing our dark rum. So there's some good things coming through in Queensland, in rum world. So, yeah, it's a tasty drop. Nil desperatum. I'm going to have to uh, have a bit of a look. Yeah, that's an interesting name. Latin or nothing to despair. Hmm. Ah, right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's their rum brand. They sit under um, that for their rum. Right. Yeah. 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 But, but yeah, there's some really good rums coming out of Queensland of late. So um, hopefully ours can stack up to the rest of them when it comes out, hopefully later this year. Mm. Well, Well, we will get into that. Yeah. With your pedigree, your knowledge and... and, uh, What's going on in, in rum world? Um, yeah, it's an exciting time, isn't it? It's real. Yeah, it's real good. It's real good, mate. Yeah. 
Mm. Why, don't, why don't you take us back right to the start? You know, to the to the to the the start when you thought, I want to have my own distillery. Where, what were you doing then, and what was the impetus to to make that jump? I um, a lot of people do know my story, but there's some that don't. But I was um, fortunate that I spent 13 years at the iconic Bundaberg Rum where I basically learnt to do what I do. So I was there from 2000 to 2013. Um, myself and two colleagues around 2009, 10, decided to push the envelope a bit with the business. And there was a um, premium product that um, was flagged as their premium at the time. And we decided to push it a bit further and um, look into how premium rums globally were made and um, with Bundy Rum being owned by Diageo, basically the biggest spirits company globally and and what they had in their portfolio of rums at the time with Sacapa and Pempero. So we were really inspired by those rums and, and researched how they were made and it was all into small barrels. So that's basically how that was a, probably the start of the my craft journey without realizing that I was going on a craft journey with going back into small barrels. So um, developed some good products there for the company and, um, you know, got some limited stuff out and signatures on bottles and all that type of jazz. Um, but in 2013, I was approached by a local businessman to set up a distillery in Bundaberg. And I thought, that would be a great challenge to go into the craft world after being in the commercial landscape for so long. Um, Kylie thought I was absolutely crazy chucking in my first full-time permanent position to go and take a risk to set up a craft distillery with a under a businessman. So, I, But I took that leap of faith and went out and had a go, um, signed a three-year contract, and during that period, I really learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about customers, the local consumers, um, saw the, the the start of the gin revolution here in Australia um, with four pillars starting to come through and Archie Rose and Sasha at Adelaide Hills. So I saw the beginnings of that. Um, got that business to a state where um, at the time, it was either do I stay or do I have a crack on my own? And um, like most of us, at one point in our time, we want to be the captain of the team. And mm -hmm. I had a chat to Kylie and I said, what do you reckon? Do we do I stay or should we try and rustle up some money? Because, you know, working for the man, you, <laughs> it's not a huge amount of money coming in that way. So. Yep and then to try and set up a distillery. But it actually, what it showed me over those previous three years showed me that at that point in time, we didn't need a whole heap of capital to get going. And right. so we, yeah, we, we took the leap of faith and away we went. When I finished the contract, we basically, a month later, had signed a lease on a, a premises. Um, I, was, I had great local support and I had great support from... Um, a really good friend of mine, Dave Schmieder, Dave and Pam. So I was able to bounce a lot off them guys and the family was really supportive. They backed the ability of what I had to produce spirit and 
away we went. We launched in 2017 with a little 100 litre still out of China and a 200 litre as well. So the 100 was for gin and the 200 was for rum and away we went. So we had we had nothing. We had bugger all. Wow. So, so you did really start bootstrap. We started with nothing. We had nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And where did you where did you start? Was it out of your so you signed a lease on a on a premises? How how big did you go to begin with? Yeah, so the the premises that we signed was a two hundred and twenty square meter shed in an industrial estate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really I really wanted to be the first in Bundaberg to do it in an industrial landscape. Because you know, you go away to Sydney and Melbourne and you see the industrial spaces and they're just they're just mm-hmm. awesome. So um, we, with the landlords, we asked them for three months grace from October through till January to get our excise license. So, cause we were applying for excise licenses and to do that, you have to have a, a lease signed. And mm. so we had approval from the council. I was lucky that I, I had a good reputation from the time at Bundy Rum and just, you know, being a local Bundy's a pretty small town, so everyone seems to know everyone. Um, so we got licensed quite quickly and we were open by March that year, um, 25th of March. So we got open really quick, um, you know, straight into rum production, trying to work out what our rum was going to be like um, because obviously, you know, coming from, from Bundaberg, you know, they've, Recipes are tried and true since 1800. So up pops this little distillery on a 200 litre still trying to make rum. So it was basically going back to scratch to learn and see what was going to work for rum. And so for us, it was launching the business on gin and vodka. Mm -hmm. And we were extremely, and I say this daily when I do tours, we were extremely apprehensive on how gin would be received in a rum town. But the big thing that we underestimated was the power of our female consumers in the region. So the mm. ladies in and around the region just up pops this little white spirit, whether they, you know, were looking for something outside because of, you know, the brown spirit of Bundy for here for so long and up pops this little distillery with a gin and vodka and um, away we went. And I think also mm. our price point that we had, like a lot of people over the years have looked at what our pricing is and gone, how do you do it? You don't make any money. But for us, it was very important on that price point to engage the locals because the socioeconomic of the town, they didn't have the money to be racing out buying 80 bottles, $80 bottles of gin. So mm. for us, it worked in where we were. And here we are um, nearly six years later from that 220 square metre shed. We're about to be, by Christmas, we'll be about 1,400 under roof. So extension on extension on extension on extension Um, from my wife and I sitting in the shed the day we open, we now have a team of 22 um, and it's all off the back of gin in a rum town. So yeah, it's been a a hell of a journey for us. That's amazing growth. Mm, It's been phenomenal. It's, it's, it's been a big transition for me as well because I'm had to learn how to be a businessman where everything <laughs> for me is, um, is it comes from manufacturing. I'm a manufacturer. Um, mm-hmm. So to learn to be a boss and 
you know, have those hard conversations with staff, et cetera, now is, is all new learnings to me. So, but I've got a really good team and most of them are family anyway. So, um, so yeah, we quite. You can, uh, you can tell them where to go and, and know that they'll be back in the morning. <laughs> well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes having family in the business is, is a lot harder than, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, we're extremely proud of what we've been able to achieve and um, we've been really embraced locally um, mm -hmm. by all the locals and as well as the local businesses and the big guys, you know, the Bundy Rums of the world and Brewed Drinks have been so supportive. Um, and a lot of the, the Australian distilling industry got a little bit of a touch of that last year when Bundy Rum opened the doors for ADA members to come through their distillery and have a bit of a look around. So, um, mm. you know, so it was really good. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been a good journey for us. And now how you've certainly you... got a range. Oh, sorry, Crafty, go on. I was just going to say, how, how, Rick, how did you uh, approach gin as a, as a rum maker? All right, you, you're coming at it from a very, very uh, different perspective, I suppose. And as you said, it gin. You were pretty at the start of the you know the, the gin wave. Um, yeah. How did you approach it from a from a research standpoint, from a development standpoint? What was the your thing, The thing I was extremely lucky with at Bundaberg was I was basically the head blender for a period of time, and then when the master distillers stuff started coming through, it branched into blending of rums, etc. So we yeah. had, we were basically in the blending house responsible for every product of Bundy that went into bottle. So there'd be days where we could be bottling 65,000 bottles a day, um, you know, a couple of different skews. So a lot of, lot of blending involved and blending in Laos, which, you know, is a, is a really big part of blending. Yeah. So that really set me up. And then when I, and being at Bundy and, with Diageo being exposed to Tanqueray and Gordon's. So mm. we, you know, we had that little inkling of gin. Um, but it wasn't until I left Bundy and, and went out as a consultant to sell, start up that other distillery that I basically, while the owner of that distillery was trying to get licensed and find premises, I went on basically a gin pilgrimage at the time. That was pretty much the first spirit that... I chased was gin mm. um, and I've always been honest with this story. I jumped in the car and I'm originally from Newcastle. So I went down to see family and I went up into the Hunter looking for barrels for rum and stumbled across the Hunter distillery and mm. um, went into the distillery there. And here's this little gin there, their copper wave gin and tried it and fell in love with it. And I went, wow. How good is that for Australian gin? And that's mm. when I really clicked on to gin and went on the pilgrimage and started buying, you know, and at that, that point in time, this is back in 2014, there wasn't the six bays of gin that there is now in Dan Murphy's. You'd only have like mm. maybe five or six and four pillars that popped in there and West Winds and Archie Rose. So um, it was then coming down to doing a lot of research, like, like everyone, jump onto YouTube or whatever books that you could find and learn about botanicals and start coming up with the recipes. Mm -hmm. um, 
And the exciting thing that I loved with gin was that instant feedback. You don't have to sit and wait six months in a barrel, crossing your fingers that it's going to taste good or 12 months or two years. You basically wait a couple of days and you can taste it and know if you're mm. on the right track or not. So um, that blending really helped me with the production side, getting the recipes right. And once I had the recipes right, that's where that um, leaning back on the big side of things was consistency, just trying to get it mm. consistent with the production time and time and time again. And that we have people say that when they come through to the distillery, they say, oh, do you make any new ones on the go? And it's like, no way. You know, like <laughs> our job or my son's job, who's our distiller now, is to replicate every recipe the same time and time again. So, yeah, that's how I approach the gin. Um, and how long did it take you to get that consistency? Um, and, you, when, when, and then when you went from your small still to your, your big still. Yeah, so we went, from we went from a 100-litre pot still to a 1,000-litre. So we invested and got a 1,000-litre still custom-made out of Melbourne. Again, with the still, I didn't want to go to where everyone else goes to get stills. Mm-hmm. So um, shopped around and, and by this time we'd made a really good connection with a guy, um, Rob or Bob Souter, um, out of Melbourne, very knowledgeable bloke. His family have a, um, a, a little rum farm here in Bundy, rum distillery, not far mm-hmm. from Childers. So they do agricultural styled rums. Um, so we made a really good connection with Rob and he'd made one. And then we took a gamble and got him to make our still for gin. Um, we've engaged him to make our rum still that we're bringing in a 3,000-litre pot for our rum mm. um, to really up the rum production. So that was the, the stills, but it was the lows, making sure that the lau blend was right when we upscaled the botanical recipe because all of our gins that we make are London dries. So mm-hmm. We have that soak, that maceration time for we we have a two day um, maceration time with our gins. Okay, so uh, a little bit different, right? And and what? So does that impart more flavour, or is that how how is that? Most like, most London dries like you, the definition for a London dry is grain based spirits, and and most of us, you know, ninety percent of the world's gins, um, you know, buying high-grade neutral ethanol. Um, mm-hmm. And we will do a botanical recipe that we then soak in the spirit for a period of time. Some guys will go zero. They'll just put the botanicals in, give it a stir, and away they go. Um, but for me, what's worked for me is that two-day, two-day cold maceration before we distill. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's our flavour, and we've, I've never changed it. So... Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And how did you come up with the botanicals themselves? So, of course, you've got the standard ones uh, that you have to have in a gin. Um, yeah. But then you've got your – so I'm, I'm looking at the Australian Premium, which I'm guessing is your is your signature uh, starting point. Yeah. Uh, given that it's 56 bucks a bottle. That would be, be in a 350 mil. That. Ah, yes, yes, it yeah. is too. Yeah. Still. The, yeah. The, 
the premium sits at about 80, I think now. 81. Um, yeah. Our, our biggest seller for our business is our classic gin, which is at 48, $49 a bottle, but it's a 37% gin. And that's the one where we've had a lot of people over the years tell me that I'm nuts for doing it. <laughs> yeah, but, sorry. I, I didn't notice. I didn't see that. I got down yeah. to the... Uh, and that it's, one, in, it's in a different bottle as well. Yeah, it's in a in a more of a square type of bottle. Um, that one's national now through Liquorland, so that keeps us pretty busy um, mm. in that $50 space, which is pretty rare. Um, and we've just had to increase prices again due to... Uh, so it's, yeah, it, that's a it's pretty straightforward, simple blend of five botanicals. Um, and that was, that's the one that really helped build our brand because we were able to get the locals to put down the Gordon's, Bombay's, Tanqueray's and drink mm. Australian made gin, especially in our demographic here in Bundy. Um, yeah, but well. yeah, it's just, it's just trials. It's like everything, um. And, you know, I'm a real traditionalist in the way I try to make alcohol and stick to, you know, gin's got to have juniper. So the most amount of botanicals that go in to our blends are juniper, followed by mm. coriander seed or angelica. And so I don't try to reinvent the wheel or keep it, you know, or make it, you know, I've got 26 botanicals in our gin because the human palate, we can only pick up so many. So why yeah, yeah. go crazy with it? So. Yeah, so no you, uh, you you mentioned that you you know you've built a um, a regional support. You know, mm. you, you had local support, and that was that was important at, in the start. And you built from there, but to take it national, that yeah, that's it's, uh, that's a whole different ball game, isn't it? That, yeah, that's, you, you've got to have a as you said, a you got to have consistency. B you got to have pricing, but yeah. C you've got to have the ability to open those doors was that all new for you because uh, you, you yeah. said that manufacturer's background so yeah the sales side of it was there a lot of learnings in that for you um yeah i was fortunate that in that little period between when we were setting up the distillery i was working with a, a local bottle shop who you know they supported us immensely and still do to this day they taught me a bit about wholesaling etc this right. is one thing, and because we, you know, we had Dan Murphy's through our doors three weeks after we opened in a little 220 square meter shed with a hundred liter pot still, and it's like, what, what do you guys <laughs> want? Um, but I do, like, I do give Dan's credit. They've re they jumped on the craft side of things really early. Um, yeah. Coles have been a bit later to the party, but they're doing really well. The thing that I and I've spoken to, I've got some close friends throughout those chains and I've said to them, they need, what I believe they need is more of a tiered system because they treat us like they treat the big guys. Mm. And so, and all those learnings, we're not used to those learnings where, you know, um, I know for a fact that Diageo in Sydney, they will have a team of like six people that will deal with Endeavour Group and Dan's. And then they might have four that deal with coals. But when you come to your mum and dad businesses, it's mum and dad dealing with the big guys getting treated the same. So it's all those learnings um, yep. that they should really put some education into to, to help. Um, and they're great advocates for the craft industry and they sponsor awards and all of that type of stuff. Um, but the thing with the national distribution, if, you know, and... 
I've had some great advice about this. If you can't back it up, like, and I think this is where something where we're, we might fall down is that if I can't have someone in WA going into stores to check in and say, oh, hi, I'm George from Calcium Moon. I'm here to check up. If your product doesn't sell, it gets pulled off the shelves and you don't get put back on. So it's a funny mm-hmm. one. It's a balance. Like, do you put on a national accounts manager at 150 grand a year and having flying all around the country checking in on as many stores to keep it going? Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's a hard one. It's hard. Mm. The challenges of the small guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I can relate. I, I was approached. Oh, when was it? I'm trying to think now. Uh, probably two years ago. Um, very, very small scale. But um, yeah, I just, I didn't have the, A, I didn't have the stock. I didn't have the continuation of the stock. I didn't have any infrastructure. And realistically, I, I had to say, I, I can't do it. And yeah. the the initial looking at it and what was required, you know, from a paperwork perspective, a reporting perspective, and that it was just, yeah, it was nah, it's yeah. not me. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot a, a lot of distilleries get scared off by them. Um, yeah, but they are, you know, they are very helpful. It's like the ATO. If you have any issues with the ATO, the first thing you should do is ring them and talk to them. Yeah, because they 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 are pretty lenient in. You know, if you, you know, and it happened to us. It, it happened to us early times. Um, we had a massive order come through with one of the chains and the excise component was massive and it was, we didn't have it. And so the first thing we did, because you, you know, you get put in a 30-day payment or something with the chains. Yeah. And then you sit waiting for your payment, but your excise is due. So you've got to just make the call and talk to the ATO and, yeah, sort it out, and they're usually pretty good when you talk yeah. to them. No, no, I agree. The ATO, all the dealings I've had and, and people that I talk to have had dealings with the ATO, they've all been pretty positive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. So you've been um, – what's your role, Rick? What, what do you do now? I mean, you said you you run the business. What does yeah. that entail? What's what's a day in the life of Rick now? Um. In the last, I've had a pretty, um, pretty interesting personal year this year. I lost two mates to suicide this year, um, so that kind of, kind of, I reevaluated a bit. And um, you know, Kylie and I, um, since we opened, we were basically she was there six days a week, and I was there seven days a week, and mm. that's what we've done. And I kind of got once those two incidents happen, I kind of had a bit of reflection personally and went, you know, I've got good people working for me. I've got to let them, I've got to put some trust in them and step back a little bit and have a day to myself or, you know, go to a, you know, my latest thing is I've gone a bit nuts on golf. So I've been going to a few golf days (laughs) and having a bit of fun with that, which which is good because um, I've had some peers in business that I've, that I've spoken with and they said, you can't just keep doing it. You, you've got to, A, you've got to have a reward for yourself and you've got to have a little bit of personal time. So I've, I've been able to, and it feels like I've only stepped back a little bit, like, you know, maybe like five hours out of that period <laughs> <laughs> or a day, but it feels like such a big break. And, yeah. you know, I, I keep asking, you know, 
my sister-in-law is our distillery manager. So you let me know if I'm, you know, if you're feeling that I'm not here enough type thing, but it's probably only a small part. But it's just, I think um, we're really trying to tidy up all of our infantry and data and procedures and, yeah, it's that, um, yeah, it's all that not fun stuff. <laughs> but it's part, part of of what distillery life is and especially, you know, after this year's um, conference where um, old mate from Adam's Distillery got up and, and gave that outstanding talk to the whole room, you kind of yeah. evaluate your business and start to put in perspective what's important and those so, you know, making sure that your workers go home safe every day and and that means having the procedures in place, et cetera, et cetera. So not that we didn't, but it's just getting it better and trying mm. to get all that back-end stuff tidied up. And how do you – so obviously you've you've now got volume of production and with your, your bigger stills, you're going to be outputting more, uh, more than ever. How, how do you yeah. track all that? within the, the dis distillery, you, I mean, yeah, you, you yeah. can't be using pen and paper or a uh, Excel spreadsheet. No. Um, have you got software that you're using for that or if you got... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a friend about 18 months ago. She told me about her audit from the ATO and it was like, okay, that was pretty in-depth on what they went to. And so we really quickly got onto it and we signed on with Vinsight out of New Zealand. Um mm -hmm. And I was extremely fortunate that a lady that I worked with at Bundy Rum was the head infantry analyst there and she she had left a few years prior and so she now works for us three days a week and so we basically now have an infantry analyst on site three days a week doing all of that processing of, of all of that data to make sure it's all digital. Um, the boys all still use pen and paper and you know, internal transfers and all the weights, et cetera, that have got to go on with production, but it's mm -hmm. all then captured all on data. So Vinsight have been, they've been really good. Um, there's a few yeah. distilleries that use them. There's lots of different ones around, but um, yeah, again, as your business grows, if you don't, you know, if you don't get onto it while it's starting to take off, you can, yeah, you can be in a, a little bit of pain trying to, sorted out at later mm. so that's uh I've, I've just looked them up because i've i've never heard of them and i'm i'm a i'm an it nerd so the software okay. side of things yeah uh, really gets me um, yeah but they and, cover everything from sales all of that type of stuff so all the way through to batching and all, all your all your day-to-day -day mm. runnings in your business so and it's cheap mm. holy hell yeah, it's not too bad, monthly payments. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So there you go. So Steve uh, McGarry is yes, saying... Steve, uh, Steve. Hey, mate. Ben Lee and 23rd Street use it as well. Yeah. See, what, Bundy Rum days, they were on SAP. And yeah. so that's a huge, complex oh, beast. Yeah. Um, and so... Overkill for most people. And yeah, unless you've custom-built it. Yeah. Yeah. Most people hear SAP and shudder. Um but but Christine who works for us, she was one of the test um people for SAP rollout for Diageo in Australia. So 
again, right. lucky to have her on board with all of our stuff now. But it's just, mm. yeah, yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thinking back to those two people, <laughs> to, yeah, to yeah. Now, yeah. But it's handy for people to hear it, you know, to hear the story out there, and, mm. and that's, you know, these platforms Absolutely. are good for. Everyone's got a different story on on how to to, to record and grow their business. Mm. And, and certainly I think this is actually the first time that we've ever actually spoken about inventory management and um, and uh, actual distillery management yeah. uh, from, a, from a software or, or well, any form of management, really. Um, so yeah. this is quite, that's quite cool. Um, oh, there you go. We're getting, uh, there's another shameless plug for the little guys, distillerytracker.com.au. Yep. All right. Jono, hit me up, give me a buzz, and uh, we'll we'll have a look and we'll have a chat. Yeah, there's a few, like, I think there's Easy Spirits that's here in Australia. Um, So there's a few, there's a few out there, which is Mm. really good because, yeah, sometimes as as the business just keeps growing, those Excel spreadsheets and... Yeah, oh, they, and, yeah, they yeah. just won't cut it. So, <laughs> yeah, awesome. No, challenges, cool. of, challenges of growth, isn't it? That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, that's when it becomes the business, and the you know the part of being a producer and wanting to make great whiskey or rum or gin. Um, yeah. It just goes to that next level, and some people are prepared for it, and some people aren't. And yeah, so it's just. And I, I, that was one of my things, and I think it's one of my strengths, is that I always had identified that if there was a role that I couldn't do, I wasn't going to try and do it myself. So, mm. you know, I'm not an accountant. I'm not going to try and be an accountant. So I get someone that is an accountant in. So um, utilise good people around you. Work yeah. to your strengths, absolutely. Yeah. Work yeah. to your strengths with wise words. And on wise yeah. words, I should say what I'm drinking. Even though I oh, yeah, we yesterday. missed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely miss myself there. So that's what I'm on tonight. Cheap sun From, nice. Uh, down in Melbourne. So, yeah. How much have you drunk of that tonight? I haven't actually drunk any. I just realised I've been holding the glass and sniffing it and going, I haven't drunk it yet. Now that I have been, been that listening. Was, that was a new bottle, so... Yeah, we did the tour out there for the ADA out to Chief Sun. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That was fun. Yeah. Those yeah. conferences are getting big now. God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is it now? There's 300 and – what is it? 340-plus distilleries now in Australia. It's phenomenal, the, yeah. the, uh, the level of growth. When I started, I think there was 60 distilleries. Mm. And it's just, yeah, the last couple of years, it's just gone. Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's talk about that. So, what's, so let's talk about Queensland, for example, because in Queensland, it's not all that long ago, there wasn't really anything in Queensland. It was, there was a lot more hurdles to open up mm. a small distillery in Queensland, wasn't there, from memory? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Queensland was tough. What, what was tough? Um, our state licence. We were right. really, 
we were probably the worst in Australia for, for having our producer wholesaler license. We were really restricted. Um, and I, you know, when you start up a distillery, you get invited to go to the regional show or you get to food and wines and et cetera, et cetera. In Queensland, we could go to do a food and wine or, you know, a show and do tastings, but we could not sell a bottle. And so we could not sell a bottle. And my argument was we got invited to a food and wine festival regionally. There was 20 wine producers there all in yep. a row doing tastings of wine and selling bottles. And then they had us over in another little section doing tastings. And, you know, I've always had a couple of liqueurs in our range of products at 20%. And then you look at a wine guy who's got a liqueur at 19 or 20%, and it's like, what's the difference? Mm. Why can he sell and why can't I? And so I was fortunate at the time at the local member in Bundy was a was my prefect at high school. So I got straight on to him and just started pushing the envelope and raising the question in Parliament in Brisbane. And then at that same stage, Dave Ridden from Grandad Jacks started, um, you know, getting on board and opened his business at the Gold Coast. Um, a year or two later, Matt Hobson from Sunshine and Sons Cavoo jumped on. So had three of us basically as, you know, little pitbulls at the state government to say our license isn't fair you're restricting us you you're happy to give out the producer wholesaler licenses but you're restricting us from going to events to to sell our product we you know we're not selling half a million bottles we're mum and dad businesses that are trying to grow our brands so um Dave Ridden really led the path from then that point on. He was close to Brisbane from the Gold Coast and really drove it home. Um, and we got the license changed um, because they were really focusing on craft beer. And, you know, it seemed like in Queensland, the spirits industry was the naughty boy in the corner. So we kept fighting and they rolled out the uh, craft artisan license here in Queensland. So we, um, we, basically lost that producer wholesaler, become craft artisan producers, which was limited on how many, um, on volume. So right. the likes of, you know, the Bundy Rums of the world couldn't get this license, which meant that, you know, if we rocked up to a food and wine festival, we could sell and we knew that, you know, the Bear or, or Bean Lee weren't going to be plonking next to us. So um, we pretty well, and then in our cellar doors, um, sorry, in our tastings bars, we are allowed to pour um, any other Queensland artists and producers products over our bar as our tastings bar. So we went from a really um, prehistoric license to a really bloody good one. So um, that's why you've seen the emergence of distilleries in Queensland over the past 18 months, because they've now got a platform to sell on. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think we might be around the 40-odd, maybe even more. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, right. that one. yeah, so it's really gone in Queensland. It's taken off. Wow. 40. Yeah. Amazing. So do you, do you feel a bit of uh, – a little bit of pride that you've been the the leader of that march and, and – um, and 
Yeah, to a degree. And, you know, like Dave Ridden really led the path, um, you know, from midway to get it across the line. And so did Matt Hobson. They did amazing work. Um, but, you know, us, the three of us, Matt, Luke, uh, sorry, Dave and myself, we're all on the committee of the ADA. So, you know, we kind of have a, we have to fight for the members that are in the ADA. To, and that's what I kept saying. It's a, it's kind of like a restriction of trade. The, you know, the excise manufacturer's license is free, but the state license you get charged for every year. But then they say, no, you can't go to a craft festival and sell a bottle of booze. So mm. I, I saw it as a restriction of trade. So, but yeah, it's, it's nice to have got it over the line. And, um, you know, get Queensland back in instead with the rest of the country. Not because it's been, you know, when I first met Crafty down in Hobart, um, at that period of time back in 2017, that was? I think it was, yeah. November 17. You know, for us up here in Queensland, it felt like Australia stopped at Byron Bay. (laughs) Nothing really. (laughs) happened further north and we didn't really get looked at any further than the border so um, it's nice to see the other distilleries throughout Queensland we've got some you know the guys up in um, Cairns the Wolf Lane boys are doing really well with their gins around Australia so it's and a lot of people say oh you know they're all your competitors and it's like no they're not we're not we're not competing you know I think um Kathleen from Nipper Courage puts it well when only, what is it, 2% of all spirits consumed in Australia is Australian-made. So there's um, there's plenty of pie. Absolutely. Now, yep. I've just been looking through your website and I happened to go down through your merch section and noticed a beard oil. Mm. It's entirely off topic. Yes. And then I thought, all right, I'm going to check out your our team page. Yep. There's not a beard amongst them. No. <laughs> it's too hot to have beards in Queensland. Good. Okay. Yep. Good point. Um, okay. th- that, that was developed. Um, so with all the spent botanicals from the gin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a little project that I was quite proud of early on. We throwing out all these beautiful botanicals and, um, yeah, we had a friend of the business who made soap, so she's mm-hmm. and she just she's just run with it. She does bath soaps and bath bombs and beard oils and all this stuff from all the spent botanicals. So mm-hmm. she's developed her own little business, which is great for her. And we give her the botanicals every every time she needs them, and the rest of them will right. go to. Um, we give the rest to the Endeavour Foundation here in Bundy for their worm gardens, for their mulch cultivation. So, yeah, we try okay. not to we try not to waste any of the um, the spent botanicals. Or same with the dunder with the rum production, it goes yeah. out to um, Oz Chile, so it gets fertilizer uses fertilizer. Yeah, yeah, awesome, and. Uh, I would assume that you're also, you, you've got a bit of sun up there. Mm. And now that, you, now that you've got, what, what is it, 12, 1,200 squares? That's a lot of yep. roof space. How do you yeah. go power 
firing and and calling all of that is that a do you buy um, we we're trying to entice the landlord because we don't own the, the actual building so he is looking into solar but our stills are run off um boiler so we've got an lpg boiler for the, okay for the right stills. and all the cooling um there's a company that's starting to do really well in the distilling space in Australia called ME Engineering. And a friend of mine um, is well involved in that business and he's been able to help me out immensely. He, Steve was, um, he was one of the head engineers at Bundy Rum when I was there and he mm -hmm. designed their, very humble man, he designed their single wash column. So, um, and he's kind of helped me out immensely with the cooling side and mm -hmm. a cheaper way of doing it instead of just plonking in a 20 kilowatt chiller or, you know, 200 kilowatt chiller and walking away. We've done some different things to try and work on the cooling and reduce power. So, Because mm. uh, I, I would imagine that, yeah, just going traditional cooling would cost an absolute fortune and just trying yeah. to on a on a daily basis. Yeah, um, especially like January, February, it's a, it's pretty intense. Yeah, time yeah. Still, um, yeah, we run we have our stills are a little bit different in the condensers where we have two condensers. So the okay. first condenser is always oversized. It's a very big condenser. So if you look at if you see a picture of our gin still, the the big thousand liter copper one, you'll see two condensers on it, and the first condenser. We run off a um, Italian Louvre cooler just to to yeah basically drop the drop it down to a from a, into a distillate and then we'll chill it on the secondary condenser with the a, um, a little seventeen kilowatt chiller. So right. instead of having a big massive chiller run all year round um, yep. in summer, that's pretty well how it'll run and. In winter, it barely runs at all. So, yeah, so the flexibility. Yeah, so you you've been pretty instrumental in putting this all together, um, Rick. Are you, I mean, you've come from a background, you know what you're doing, but you've you've also said you've mentioned it a few times tonight. Uh, friends, you've got mm. a lot of friends which you've which you've helped you on the way. So um, you place a lot of importance on that, I would imagine. Oh, 100%. And still making good friends today and still learning. Um, you know, I've developed a really good relationship with a, a great man up in North Queensland. Um, become great friends with him, Paul Williams, up at Bingle Bay Distillery. Um, probably got one of the most far-out-looking stills in Australia, big vacuum still that he designed himself. And it's... Yeah. You know, and we will talk for a couple of hours all about, and when we talk about rum, most of the time when we talk about rum, we don't talk about how to distill it. We talk about fermentation and and all that side of thing with the rum production. And you know, Paul's Paul's nearly he's nearly seventy five years young, and <laughs> you know he's he he goes to the ADA conferences and he's there and he's amazing. And so you know, you learn so much. You're always learning. You don't ever stop learning and everyone's got something new coming through or a new technique and so that's the beauty of of the industry and that's 
you know, before when I said we, we're not competing against each other. We, and that's what I think the, the industry will go with so many distilleries starting to come through. We'll become our own little hubs in each state, I think. So um, you'll still have the big guys that are national, but um, yeah, mm. there'll, there'll be plenty of pie for everyone, I think. Yep, he's opening. That's that's the case. Let's um let's talk about barrels, eh? Let's so you make your your focus going forward is rum. You, that, that's what you're you're getting close to launching your first rum and that. Yeah. So um, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about where you are with, with your rum. Um, but then also, I'd love to hear your take on barrels. Um, because are you are you looking at are you using wine barrels, using bourbon barrels? Uh, where where have you gone in, in the direction with your with your casks? Um, so first, I about eighteen months ago, I made a decision because I was always level pegging the rum and gin together. And last last year we had a really bad year on rum production, really bad. Um, and so I made the decision that gin is our core and rum is our secondary product for our business. So, mm-hmm. of co- and even from the start of this year, I said to the boys, if we can lay down 60 to 100 barrels of really good rum, I'll be much more pleased with that than having 150 to 200 of shit. So we've taken a step back. We've really focused on fermentation and distilling the spirit properly as best as we can. We had a bad year last year on bad molasses out of one of the mills. Um, One of the mills shut down um, and was decommissioned. And when they shut down, they put a cleaner through, which went into the molasses and Mm. didn't have to tell anyone. So wasn't a good year on rum production. Wow. yeah, I made. How, how do they? Um, how do they make good on that? Um, I didn't. I did not at that time buy our molasses direct from the mill. I got it from a third party, and mm. so. And the only reason that we found out was, and all of our rum production at that time was based off blackstrap molasses from the sugar mills, right. and we. I come across a, a local um, farmer who also got a load of this molasses for a cattle feed. And he said, have you ever had any trouble with this molasses this year? And I told him I'd had. And he basically said he put it out to his cows for feed and they wouldn't touch it for two mm-hmm. weeks. And he got it analysed and they found cleaner through it. So wow. that was because we had a funky taste through the smell and through the distillate that we couldn't get rid of and we didn't know what it was coming from. So, mm. yeah, we we now know what it is. So um, so that really changed the goalpost into what we do with rum. Um, mm. We make sure now all of our blackstrap is sourced. We've got full control over it and the blackstrap, we only use that now to make our spice rum and our rum liqueur. Right. And all of our premium rums or our unaged rums or our plant cane, our cane spirit, is um, A-grade refinery-grade molasses. Mm. Which obviously then has a cost impact. Yeah. 
but opposed to the price of the bottle, it's it's not a huge amount. So um, really good quality stuff. But then in terms of barrels, um, again, friends, um, Schmieders, Transwood. So, you know, I've known Dave. Dave was the head cooper at Bundy Rum. He still is. You know, he's been there since 1970. So um, I've had a huge connection with Dave and, you know, learn a lot from Dave in regards to barrels and listen and learn. And um, But for me, what I always do for our rum is we always start off in ex-American bourbon. Mm -hmm. um, do a period of time in ex-bourbon before going into finish. Um, and that's where we'll look for the ports, the sherries, um, good good right. PXs and Olorosos and, yeah, off, off good advice of history of barrels if possible. So I haven't really gone into red wines. Um, Chardis, no, I don't like white whites, so I always go for reds. Um, yeah, but mainly ex-bourbons. Right. Well, whilst we're, whilst we're talking about barrels, obviously one of our sponsors is uh, Robbie. Robbie, yeah. Uh, barrel Brokers. Yeah. Um, so definitely everyone needs to hit, hit Robbie yeah. up for his barrels. Yeah, Robbie had a good conference. <laughs> yes, I bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> Paid for the stand, I bet, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think he was hurting on one of the days at the stands. <laughs> He's a little bit slow. <laughs> and Transwood are also one of our sponsors as well. Yeah. Yep. Good but, point. yeah, barrels are, yeah, very important. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're just starting to get a few now that we've emptied out for first fill bourbons, getting second fill of rum into them to see how it comes along. So, um, mm. yeah, I think people will be hanging on to their barrels as the price keeps increasing on them. So, yeah. And how many barrels of rum would you have down at the moment? Uh, we've got 230 down at the moment. Mm. Um, we're starting and to... They're, and they're, like, they're, they're small barrels. 200 litres. 200 yeah. litre barrels, right. Two, mainly it's 200. Yeah, we've yep. got a few hogsheads in there at 300. Um, yeah, we were able to get, you know, the odd nice sherry and some nice ports out of um, some of the cooperages, but mainly all ex-bourbon. Um, got to be... Queensland's hot, so we've got to watch the evaporation. The angels mm. share. It starts to... We've just started emptying. I think we've emptied six this week. We're working on our... Getting ready to release our spiced rum, so... And the evaporations, yeah, it's taken a bit of a hit. So you're looking at around six to eight percent per year in evaporation. So yeah, it starts to really start to chew into what we're doing. Mm, definitely. But and, yeah, and lot, yeah. So, so is a lot of your twelve hundred square shed there is is that predominantly bond store? It's all bond store. Bond store. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah it's all bond store. Um the next little extension that we're doing is mainly more for barrels as we bring in the bigger still. Mm -hmm. um, it's not so much about chasing extra volume in rum. Um, I'd like to probably not produce rum during the hotter months of 
um, mm-hmm. December, January, February. It's just the ferments go pretty nuts. Mm. And we're not fully automated on the fermentation side of things. So, um, you know, the, the 3 a.m. trip over, and it's only, we're 12 minutes away from, from work, but the 3 a.m. drive over to check on fermenters and stuff like that are just cooling. It's not fun. So, no. yeah. Because the town water... The town water will be at like 29, 30 degrees when we when we pitch yeah, the yeast. Yeah. It's really hot. So, um, so what sort of a yeast will survive that then? Um, it'll it'll pitch at that, but it's it'll just take off really quick. It, it yeah, right. gets really fast. So, and then you've got to be on the cooling on the chillers to to try and cool them down. So. Hmm. Um, it's a lot nicer making rum in the cooler months of April, May, June, with a nice slower start to get going. So, um, mm. you know, that, having that bigger still up at 3,000 litres will allow us to not distill a couple of months of the year for rum and focus yeah. on keep the gin in stock during those real busy periods. Mm. That's, that's the thing that... Um, the bread and butter. It's going out the door, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow. So have you got many more things sort of – I mean, you've got a decent list. Yeah. Um, and you said that you mainly focus on consistency mm-hmm. and getting it right every time. So are you going to be releasing other things or is there, is there anything new coming out? Um, the Spice is – well, yeah, so we're releasing a Spice from, but yep. these – with our rum side of the business, it's not a. I'm not chasing the vo- a volume. Yep. It's just you know, it's it's nice to, you know, um, the guys at Nil Disperandum are ramping up for volume of rum. Sydney Rum Company. Steve was giving a shout out earlier. They're ramping up for volume of rum. So, um, rum's still coming. It's there's some good good ones coming, but it's still I don't, the Australian market's still simmering on the rum. I still think it's still a couple of years away. So mm. it'll be nice to have, you know, a spiced rum, a bit of dark. We're, I'm just waiting on some packaging to come through to try and get that finalised. I'm happy with what I'm ready to release. It's about two and a half year old, so it's lovely. Um, it's about 21 months ex-bourbon and finishing off in some lovely port barrels. So, um, you know, if we can get... 700 bottles of that out the door that'd be lovely for a first release of rum and yeah, yeah. not try and have it in stock all the time it's just um, a nice product but uh, everyone's throwing ideas around for extra products but <laughs> um, we do pre-mix cans as well so they've taken off for us see that. yeah and how uh how, how did they come about um they come about we developed a really strong partnership, you know, mutual friendship with Bundaberg Brewed Drinks, the ginger beer factory here in town yep. from day one. Yep. Um, one thing that was that we used to do that we've only just stopped as of the 1st of August was we would do complimentary tastings in the distillery mm-hmm. um, and in and around the, the tasting of gin. Um, one approach that we took right from the start was how we were going to get people to drink gin um and we you know i quickly realized that bundaberg's a town that was built on sugar production 
mm-hmm. and they prefer sweeter drinks. So we would have people come through and go, oh, gin, you know, we want your rum. When's the rum ready? And I'd go, you know, come back in five years' time, the rum will be ready. The gin, they'd tell us that they'd had it, they hated gin, didn't, you know, bad experiences. And we've really nutted it down to tonic, that it was the tonic that they, you know, it's different for at that point when we opened, it was all local support. We weren't on the tourism map. So yeah. we were educating the locals in how to drink gin and with the sweeter option, it was ginger beer. So we'd make the trek over to brew drinks and buy cartons and cartons of ginger beer and Kylie would keep going back and buying more cartons and cartons of ginger beer and they're like, what are you doing with all the ginger beer? And we, t- we told them, we said, it helps sell our gin. And they said, but you do free tastings. And we're like, yeah, that's right. And they're like, so you're buying our ginger beer to give away free. And we're like, yep. So <laughs> they were, it worked. And they, and you know, from there we built that partnership and good friendship with that brand. And then we had the opportunity to do the premix cans with them. So mm. um, those little green ones, the, the gin, gin and ginger beer, ginger yeah. mules. Yep. So first year, eight hundred thousand cans out the door. Whoa! Whoa. That's impressive. That's a lot. A of lot cans. Of That's just Queensland. That was Jeez. just in Queensland. They're not in any other state. They're only in Queensland. And then the pink with apple cider and raspberry. They've um, they've just been ranged in with the chains in Queensland now. So they're about to go. So wow. Yeah, a lot of branding. That's the way I look yeah. at it. It's a lot of branding. So, but yeah. I've got enough. Yeah, there's enough products there. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot yeah. there to manage, isn't there? there there's, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Chasing tails, mate. We turn around and the girls will be going, "Oh, we're nearly out of vodka," and it's like, oh, "We're nearly out of this," and it's <laughs> yeah, and it's um. Yeah, it's managing the infantry or getting the glass in and we're getting ready to go to a, a, a custom bottle um, through Saver Glass next year. So, you know, you're trying to manage all, you know, another all of that. So, um, Saver Glass, another sponsor. Saver Glass. <laughs> yeah, so all of our glass will end up with Saver. Um, mm. But, yeah, those little cans, they're pretty, pretty crazy and... We, um, I'm not sure if you've seen the photo. We, we sponsored Canterbury Bankstown Rugby League. Yep. I was going to ask that. Yeah, that yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how, the, how the hell does the does the Queensland? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that one. it's it, it was it's crazy. Like really, it's um. Don't tell me a friend. <laughs> a friend. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, during COVID, I went to a sportsman's lunch because we do sponsor a local rugby league team. And we're at a sportsman's lunch at the sponsor's table and there's a gentleman sitting next to me that I'd never met and got talking. And his name was Andrew Gifford from the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. He's on the board of directors. Hmm. And we chatted and I said, so what what are you doing here? And he said, I live here now. And I'm like, aren't you in the board of Canterbury? And he goes, everything's Zoom now. He said, you don't have to sit in boardrooms. So he relocated to Bundaberg. 
um, very passionate for the region. Um, and Canterbury used to always take their a home game to New Zealand. And so Andrew and the board decided to bring a game to Bundaberg and um, which had never been done before. We've, we've had trial games, but to have an actual NRL game for points never had happened. So um, they've committed to three years and Andrew would bring, you know, the, you know, the legends of the club, the Terry Lambs and Langmax and um, Willie Masons, et cetera, through to the distillery to have some drinks because we're only a kilometre from the airport. <laughs> and he brought a whole heap of the management team up, including the CEO and their marketing manager. And I said, have you ever thought about doing a commemorative bottle for the game? And they looked at me and went, what a great idea. And that's, that's how it happened. So we basically wow. have agreed to terms to be with them for the next three years to, to partner with them. And again, the, the, the twist in it is they played the North Queensland Cowboys and on the Cowboys, on the Cowboys jersey, they're sponsored by Bundy Rum and here's the Canary Bankstown <laughs> Bull sponsored by Kalki Moon. So... Yeah, um, yeah, quite humbling. So, yeah, so that's how that come about. So we're trying to, um, you know, get into the leagues club down in Canterbury. It'd be nice. And um, I didn't know too much about Arthur Laundy, but I do now. And if I could, you know, jag something through Arthur's pubs, it'd be even better. So, yeah, just sit back. Well, try and get into the uh, Canterbury Helson Park. RSL, yeah, because uh, that's like just just there. Okay, and, uh, that'd be lovely. Yeah, <laughs> walking distance for you. Yeah, walking no, they've been amazing. They were real. They've been fantastic. So, um, yeah, I think someone put up a comment about the Knights. Uh, on proud Novacastrian. So there, yeah, there it is. There. So, um, yeah, official drink for the Knights. I think Canterbury are on the way up, so yeah, they're looking pretty good for next year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just putting through my order for uh, for a few of your uh, bits and pieces there because I just can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> and ordered. Here comes the rain. I, I, I yeah. didn't get the oil because... I've got something to oil up. <laughs> so no, I'm giving that a crack. No drips on the head coming through crafty. Sorry, guys, it's raining torrential here. And <laughs> I'm struggling to hear now. Yeah, your little caravan. You're going to have to get a new caravan, mate. Oh, I've had this one for a few years and it's, it's starting to show some signs. Yeah. So we've, we've uh, the uh, eccentric electrician was just saying you're going to order some gin gin and the aged gin. The barrel aged, yeah. If he, if he doesn't, now he's been shamed into it. Yeah. Um, he's going to have to. <laughs> yeah, the barrel aged, lovely, lovely product. There's not a lot of barrel aged gins in Australia. There's There's a few. But mm. certainly not as many as the uh, 
uh, I guess you would call an Aussie gin. What yeah. are your what are you, what are you aging your gin in? Um, ours is a little bit different in what we do with our barrel aged. Um, so ours has been an ongoing process since we got licensed in 2016. So it's called Solstice. I trademarked the word Solstice and it's how I age the barrel aged gin. So select the cask and the first year um, we used an ex um, rum barrel that was coopered by Dave Schmieder. Um, it was Baltic or European oak from some decommissioned vats. Hmm. And we filled the liquid. We use our premium gin to make our barrel age and we filled the barrel on the summer solstice. Right. Okay. And we aged it from the summer solstice to the winter solstice. And on the winter solstice, we take the liquid out and store it on stainless. And on that same day, we refill the barrel with new gin and age from winter to summer and take that liquid out and blend the two together. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. That's quite a process. Yeah. On that summer solstice, we start again with a brand new barrel, brand new liquid, and go again. Mm. So because Queensland's so hot and 100 litres is pretty much the maximum that I can go down to, that summer to winter, it just pulls all the flavour that's been in the barrel. Mm. If I was to leave it in for the full year, it'd be too much because mm. I still want it to taste like gin. So it's a two-part blend. So yeah, that, right. that winter to summer is not as intense. The barrel's been conditioned a bit and then we'll blend. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, then we'll pick a new barrel. So we've done rum, port, Pedro Jimenez, Tasmanian Pinot Noir. What we'll release in the next couple of months is Oloroso. And this year we're in um, ex-bourbon. So mm. a, it's a product that I don't try to replicate. It's whatever the barrel will deliver is what we get. And mm. that's our barrel aged gin that I do. So, um, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So there's a, there's a story to it. Um, and the pricing of how we set the pricing is how it gets judged at the international wine and spirits competition. So yeah, if it jags something big, the price is big. So, um, makes sense. Yeah. And I can remember I was at a Junipalooza festival in must have been 19 with Dave from Manly Spirits and our port barrel one had just won gold at the IWSC and I put 200 bucks a bottle on it and Dave said, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and at that time, we probably had the cheapest gin at 46 and then the dearest yeah. at 200. But that's, wow. yeah, I... I and I saw that on, um, have you seen Red Obsession, Crafty? By, it's all on um, the Bordeaux, the Chateaus, the wine. No, can't say I have, no. So it's narrated by Russell Crowe. It's on YouTube. It's called yeah. Red Obsession. It's about the French wine and the Chinese, all about wine. Right. And it just goes mm -hmm. into what the Chateaus do when they are getting ready to release their wines, how they get them evaluated and judged before they release. Hmm. 
because you could be re, you could be selling a a whiskey that's gold at a price that's worth way more. So that's what we do now with Solstice. Wait till the judging comes in. That's a, it's a clever approach. Yeah. Had to be a businessman. That's what my <laughs> wife tells me. <laughs> so Kylie's so noticed some more changes than you. Yeah. Kylie's Kylie's noticed some noticed some changes in you over the years with the business. I think so. And this behind me is not mine. That is Kylie's. Right. Mm -hmm. So she's the um, gin connoisseur in the family. Well, she's got her own gin now as well, from what I can see on the website there. Yeah, yeah, she does. She's got Kylie's two. summer gin. Yeah, and she also designed the speaker's gin that we've done for Parliament. Sorry, hold on. Tell me about that. So there's a speaker's gin, which we yep. designed for Parliament House in Brisbane. Right, yep. Um, so we selected three new blends for them to pick a product that was exclusive for them, and they picked Kylie's. Mm. Not good. So she thinks she's the best distiller in the family now. So. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I thought at, at that time, Parliament in Brisbane would only let it be sold from Parliament House. So that's why I said she needed to make another one for to be sold at the distillery. But um, Yeah, right. So thus was born her summer gin. Yeah, her summer gin's lovely. Yes, it's mm. a nice product. Does sound good. Yeah. Uh, what we got? What a recipe of apple, orange, lemon, and cinnamon. Mmm. Mmm. With a big hit of juniper. Yummo. And she's, a bit, she's here tonight, but she's a bit shy. She'll be sitting in. She's sitting in bed watching Netflix, drinking gin or Bundy and Coke. So. <laughs> that's, um, I was about to say, where where I'm is she? I've tried to get her to come out and say hello, but she's um she might she'd probably be listening. But, um... <laughs> well, she's got to she's got to take her uh, her accolades from um, choosing or creating the gin of uh, of Parliament, yeah, and then her own. Brilliant. I know. No, she's not. She won't come out. She's, she's <laughs> all good. Yeah. <laughs> but there's some, oh, she's um, some fans. She's got some fans. Yeah. Oh, there's some amazing female distillers in Australia. And, you know, there's, you know, in gin, whiskey. So it, it's really good for the industry that the, um, mm. the girls are, that are ripping in and making some great spirit too. It's not all about the boys. No, no, far, far from it. And it's the, it's the diversity of, of spirits that are getting made too nowadays too. Mm. It's people who make gin, they don't make one gin, they make multiple gins, they make seasonal gin, they do barrel aged gins and that. And then yeah. you've got, there's so many other different products out now. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. And the thing that really I find quite amazing is just the accolades you know, the, the, particularly the international accolades that, that are coming Australia's way 
for for spirits that have been produced and just punching so so far above. Yeah, their, their, aren't they? Why why yeah. do you think that's what's driving that, Rick? Why why do you think distilleries are hitting the deck running and winning big international awards? And only been on the scene for a relatively short period of time, but they they just nail it. There's, there's multiple distilleries doing that, as That's, as well as seasoned distilleries. Australia and New Zealand have always been two countries that have always batted way above our average. We just always we are always good. We always do things to the best of our ability. Um, yeah, and. I think the production of alcohol is something that as a country we're really embracing in the last 10 years and you can you can you go and benchmark against other world products straight away now whereas you know back in 2000 if you wanted to go and benchmark against a fantastic whiskey it was only limited to what you could get in your bottle shop unless you jumped on a plane and went to Scotland or Ireland to get it. Now there's the world's so open that if you want to learn how to make a amazing slow gin, you can order it from the UK and you've got that benchmark. Yeah. So I think it really helps. The internet's been huge, you know, everything's online. So um, which is good. So the quality's there, because that's what we want. And that's the exciting thing in rum production that's coming through now is the quality of the rum. You know, I was fortunate a couple of weeks ago to be in Sydney at, at Junipalooza and um, who's behind me is Nick and Ali. Hmm. And all we spoke about for basically two days was rum. <laughs> and given me little sneaky tastes of their rum and it's bloody awesome. And it's so good that, you know, with a spirit, um, you know, that's been in regard of, you know, the two two producers out of Queensland and they both start with B. They've been our big rum producers and now we've got some amazing rums coming through, you know, from mm. James and what he's doing down in um, Victoria at Jimmy Rum. So it's, um, a, yeah, it's that benchmark where we can actually purchase, you know, we, we can get hold of rums from Barbados and, and Jamaica not the, you know, yes, you can get Appletons, but, you know, you're getting the Hamptons and you're getting Momba out of South Africa, all these ones that you, you wouldn't have heard of about 20 years ago. So you can benchmark against the other other products. Yeah, yeah. Do you think? Yeah, oh. yeah, no, I agree, I agree. There's, there's a lot of things out there you can benchmark against now, absolutely. Mm. And now a lot in the country as well that you can venture. The country as well. Yeah. Yeah, because if you've got people winning international awards in your own country and then you can rock into a bottle shop and there they are and grab it straight away, you're going to go, well, okay, that's a standard and that's what we've got to meet. So, mm, 100%. It's Absolutely. all about getting more people drinking Australian-made products at the end of the day. Yeah. So what would you, you... You've seen a bit of change in the industry over the last few years. Where do you think it's going? What's what's coming? 
for the Australian oh, Good question. Mm, very good. Well, what do you want to see? I want the excise to stop going up. Yeah. It's going to really, it's going to do some damage. So, uh, yeah. Um, I have heard that the next rate rise in February is going to be the same again. Mm. So it's, it's going to really, and the sad part about it is that, you know, what's the stats? 90% of distilleries are regional. So mm. it's the mum and dad businesses that are actually having a go that are going yeah. to get smashed with excise. And, um, yeah, so I'd like to see that stop. I, I think that the distilleries will get more territorial to a degree where you've got your own your own space. Some of them will want to open up and, you know, be Australia's biggest distillery, and that's great. But I think for survival, and that's what I've always done with our business was to be strong in our region like in Bundaberg, Meribah and Harvey Bay and you know we have a catchment of around 250 to 300,000 people and yep. it's where I try to stay strong and yeah. and then that next region is into the Sunshine Coast and you know the guys that I'm friends with from Kavu you know that's that's their little piece of the pie so you're gonna yeah we'll see this mm. little these little territories start to take effect, I, I think. But um, I could be wrong. No, I, I think owning your your um, owning your own area, yeah, is, is going to become increasingly more important. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it's if you look at what happened, what happening uh, in Australia, but happened in the US with craft brewers. Um, you know, you had craft brewer in, in every suburb and they owned their, their suburb. You know, it was it was part of the community. So, yeah. yeah, those connections with the local community and working with fellow producers in in that community is is going to become increasingly more important. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I think so. And I think education will play a big part in that as well to the consumer. Yep. Because the consumer's... Um, we sit at about forty to forty-five thousand a year through the distillery, um, right. and we do tours seven days a week, um, twice a day, and we, you know, we tell them about the the excise. We tell them about the age statement on rum, whiskey, and brandy, and they don't know. They don't mm -hmm. know. Ninety percent of them that come through the door have no knowledge about alcohol or the laws in around it. So. That's why we really try to give them that knowledge so they walk away and go, oh, I learned something on that tour. That was really helpful. And then that's more, you know, it engages them in your brand. And so that's, I think that'll be a big important part of going forward for distilleries is to educate and be very, and one thing that I really wanted for our business was transparency. So I wanted people to know who made it, where, on what, um so just to you know show that it's it's good spirit you know like mm. get let them ask the questions you should be able to answer them for them yeah yeah i'm not sure whether it's um how relevant it is to 
um, to rum. I know we've spoken a bit about it regarding whiskey, but is there a uh, sort of a rum terroir? Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of education to happen around rum. There's um yeah rums are rums a difficult category because of the age statement. It's mm. especially around the white. Um and and we have a we have a cane spirit. Um you know, on and this is what we say on the tour, and they look at us when when we say, "Oh, this is our cane spirit," and they look at us with a, a weird look. And what's a cane spirit? But as soon as we say, "Look, essentially, it's an Australian unaged white rum," they're like, "Oh, okay, we know what that is." Mm. But legally, we can't call it rum. It's not rum. But on export, we to the US, UK, we basically can call it a white rum. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of Sorry. opportunity. It's a hard that that's a real hard one. Unless they're from South Africa, they know what a cane spirit is. But here in Australia, they don't know what a cane spirit is. Mm. Um, and I was always prior to us releasing that product, I was always one for it has to be two years on wood to be called rum. But <laughs> I on one of the ADA conferences, I up and had a really good conversation with um, Paul Messenger and he was talking about you know the agricole style rums and and he basically said and I agree to him 100% now is he said those products aren't designed to be on wood to, to have cask influence they're fresh they're ready to be mixed in cocktails off the still mm. and it, it's only been since we've had that product and the education around it where people don't know what it is is um i've kind of swayed a bit on that and there's a few others in the industry now that are looking and going oh, maybe an unaged white rum is a sensible way to go um but it's, it's almost the the gin of the rum world isn't it um it's well being there's a, being the, they use so much more in cocktails than dark. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I I love a white rum. I uh, I love a, a coconut white rum. There's yeah. nothing better than a than a, a lovely coconut cocktail, sipping on the beach or around the pool, um, with a with a lovely white rum. Yeah. Uh, it'd be lovely if we could call it an Australian white rum. Yeah. But to, you can, but the, the crazy part around it is that it's got to be aged for two years. Yeah. It's got to come out of barrel, it's going to be coloured, and then you've got to carbon filter it to get the colour out, and you're going to strip yeah. all that flavour out. So you go on back. defeats the purpose entirely. It defeats the purpose, yeah. yeah. Um, my concern early was that I was more worried about the multinationals coming in just with cheap shit and just mm. flooding the market with crap. But, um, you know, there's most of those beautiful cocktails that rums are used in, majority of them are from a white, not a, mm. not a dark. So, yeah, yeah. It's been a, and our, our plant cane, our cane spirit's a lovely product. It's mm. just bloody hard to sell because they don't know what it is. Mm. So, 
Um, is it something yeah, that yeah. could go into the uh, the the premix cans? Yeah, but you just still can't call it rum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're seeing the whiskey industry, you know, like a what? What do you call it, crafty? A, a new make uh, spirit. New make or yeah. You know, uh, how many new make spirits of whiskey would you use in a cocktail compared to a unaged cane spirit or white rum? So, bugger all. Bugger all. Yeah. No. Yeah, new new make. Yeah, yeah, new Quite new make well. is is it's not something that's sold that much, um, as far as I'm aware. Uh, I had limited success with it. It was it was good in in some cocktails, but yeah, I know what you mean. A um, yeah. a, a white rum, totally different. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah, very different beast. Mm. I think yeah. uh, Mark Mark Awood, um, Winding Road. Distillery. Yeah, he's yeah. he's had pretty good success with his his Adricol, um releases. Yeah, and, that, and that's yeah, Mark. That's he started. Yeah, yeah, he's making some great spirit. So the guys at Husk, um, Bricks, mm. Jimmy Rahm, um, mm. Capricorn at um, Burley. The yep. boys they were up they were up in Rockhampton. They were previously um, sale yards, and now down in Burley, they're doing some great stuff in. In, in rum so it's exciting times and then you've got our good friends at Blackgate Janice and Brian making amazing rum out there so it's exciting for rum in Australia yeah. um, Sydney Rum Company they're investing heavily in the, in the industry so yeah it's exciting times and there'll be um, there'll be a lot more that I haven't mentioned yeah do Archie you Rose, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They've been releasing some select uh, rum products. Yeah. And Marty Pye from Riverborn, he's he's been trying Yeah, Marty out. makes a, a great rum. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah, there's there's a few things out there. Yeah, Do you so think we'll see a rum a palooza. Rum a palooza. There's <laughs> there's a there's a couple starting to get going in regards to little rum festivals in and around, but um mm. yeah, I kinda I kind of stay put a bit now. I'm I'm not much of a, a traveller. Must be getting old. <laughs> yeah, we, we've actually had a question come in from uh, uh, South Arm Distillery. Yeah. Uh, can you source sugarcane juice? Yes. Yes. We've um. Yes. Can answer that. Yes, we've um. We and it was only a month ago that we did a trial. We did our first big production trial on um, cane juice, fresh pressed juice from Isis Mill, um, which is in Childers, which is um, about 50k south of Bundaberg. So right. we we don't have the setup like the guys at Husker setting up. They're really ramping up to do their um, Australian cultivated rum with their own mill and and do yep. all that, which is fantastic for the industry. But yeah, we we can get fresh pressed juice from um, Isis Sugar Mill. So if anyone wants any details, I'm sure the mills will be happy to do that. Yeah, you got to right. move pretty quickly, don't you, Rick? With with you, fresh cane juice, you, you've got to get on it that day. That day, yeah. yeah. Um, 
the last year when we got one IBC through, they left it the day after, and when it turned up, it was ready to that thousand liters was about to <laughs> it was about to go. Um, so I made this year we upped it to to six thousand liters that we fermented out, and I, we picked it up that day and got the yeast straight into it. Um, yeah, wow. and it's made really great spirit, really nice, really nice mm -hmm. spirit. I was introduced to uh, Cachaca by a Brazilian mate of mine. And I think he, he made me a cocktail of just Cachaca and a, uh, a glass of sugar and ice. Yep, like yeah. Caparina. Yep. Caparina, yeah. Absolutely. Holy hell, that shit was dangerous. Mm. What a great drink, though. Mm. Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. Oh, good, but yeah, dangerous as all hell because you just knock them back and not even notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think, uh, um, <laughs> like in and around the retail space with the major chains, they're all talking, um, tequila or agave, yeah, as, as the next big thing. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that that white. Cane spirit or a white rum with these cocktails. Once, mm. yeah, I think they're gonna. It's 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 coming. It's it's slowly coming. It's getting ready. So, <laughs> as Scotty, Scotty ex Oak, Bar Oak Barrel would say, there's a rum renaissance coming. Yeah, he's been saying that for a, for a number of years. Yeah, I think he still preaches it. But yeah, I mean, people talk about rum and. You know, my experience with people who drink whiskey, they they're aware of rum and they delve into, into rum, and and it's it, you know it's another brown spirit to explore. Mm. Mm. My, there's a lot of people that got bad headaches from Bundy and Cokes as well. Yeah, I've I've had many a bad experience, and um, yeah, uh, a dark rum, it it. It jars on me a bit. I don't think my palate's <laughs> adjusted to it yet. Uh, but I think that's because I've been drinking shitty rum. Yeah. Or is it the four litres of Coke that you had when you drank that <laughs> shitty rum? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. To try and hide the rum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, now I'm going to buy a bottle of fucking rum. God damn it. <laughs> I can't help myself as I you got another one up your way, uh, Lord Byron, haven't you? Uh, he's a bit south. He's at Byron. South, sorry, south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian. Brian's close to um, Mark at Winding Road and Husk and yep. um, in, in around that southern Tweed area. So, um, yeah, basically stops from Bundy. Um, the guys that are at Rocky are now down at Ben Lee, like I mentioned. And yep. um, yeah, um, Wild River up in um, Atherton Tablelands, he's doing some rum. Mark, yes. um, yep. obviously from Mount Uncle, does a good good rum as well. So yeah, then go across to the west to to the Ord, and you've got Kalen. Yep. Yeah, so it's. Um, yeah, it's it's in good stead, the old rum, which is great. Yes, I have. Have heard you of heard of um, mm. Killick rum from? Victoria. Yes, I have. Yes, 
Yes. Mm. Haven't it's... tried it, but have heard of it. So there you go. Good quality rum is amazing. A lot of the cheap alternatives have weird off flavors on the palate before you mix it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think and that's I think what that's... drinking. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of like the you know the rum producers of the day are trying to do is to put out rums that you can just drink straight like a great whiskey. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be drowned out with coke. Yep. And that's that's our objective with our rum category is our our cane spirit, our spice. Yes, go ahead and mix it by all means. But when it comes to our dark, um, we want them to drink it straight or a splash of water or on ice, not not drown it out with coke. And so mm. I think the pricing will have to come into play with that as well to deter them from drowning out X price bottle with <laughs> Coke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, we've hit the hour and a half mark. Uh, do we have any other questions from the audience before we before we call it? Because we've just had a <coughs> we're getting well into the rum. Uh, we're getting a few questions come in. Any anything else before we uh, before we sign off? Whilst you're thinking we have already spoken about a couple of our sponsors. Uh, we probably should talk about the others as well. Yeah, bring Let it up. Bring it up. So we've spoken about uh, Robbie and Barrel Brokers. Uh, we've uh, spoken about Saver Glass. Uh, we've spoken about Transwood. Um, Youngie. Of course, we can't forget Youngie, good friend of the show. And, why not? Uh, yep. yep, why not? And, uh, yeah. CCL. CCL Labels, of course, who Crafty uses himself. Uh, Burnsy uh, for your stills. Um, we really should check up on whether he actually wants phone calls or not. Uh, but, of course, we do have uh, water. Wild Wolgan Natural Spring Water has plenty of it. So feel free to hit them up. Uh, oh, hold on, shit, wrong button. Uh, Don't. There we oh. go. Found it. Okay. I found the button. It's all good. Is Todd in New Zealand yet? We don't know. <laughs> I told him that he should use the Wi-Fi on the plane. Obviously, he doesn't have Wi-Fi. Yeah, I think he'll be arriving around 12. Hmm... Yeah, he'll be in the air now, definitely. Yeah. Uh, now, we do have a couple more questions come in. All right, so the uh, eccentric electrician, have you considered bright, bright high ester light low sugar rums? Yes, we've been... Funky ass. Uh, yeah, it's... We've been really trying to just sort out our standardised rums and you know we've been we've got them much to the despise of the wife we do have the muck pit out the back full of growth and maggots and all of that to create these products um down the track but um it's something of yeah that we'd love to get into is the high ester stuff and um mm -hmm. a lot of that funk um the great question the guys that um Nil Desperandum, Kavu are far more advanced into that than we are. Um, 
So, again, it's another, and I think Killick in Victoria are doing one as well. So, it's it's another, you know, string in the bow of rum production. It's kind of like having those really big, heavy, peated whiskies that you have those really funky high ester rums. So, it's good for, mm. the, for the category. Yeah, right. Uh, I guess that leads into uh, another question from William Rawl. How do you deal with your rum stillage waste? <laughs> I'd, um, I'll answer that one offline. <laughs> 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 all of our, um, all of our first lot, all of our dunder, um, all of our dunder. Currently, we've got a thirty thousand liter um, tank that our dunder goes to, and that all goes to uh, a company here in Bundaberg called Auschili, and. They use that as an organic fertiliser um, for all their chilies and avocados. So mm. uh, I know a few guys that have been stuck before with where to get rid of their dunder. Um, but, yeah, the stillage side is a lot of dilution to get rid of that to trade waste. So, mm. um, yeah. We'll chat about that offline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, very good. Uh, right, I think we've 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 hit the hour forty-one. We probably should yep. call it out before Crafty gets washed away. Uh, he looks like he's you. ready for a sleep. He's always ready for a nap. Yeah. Oh, I did a brew. Did a brew today. And yeah. 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 Well done. Well done. Yeah. Well, I've placed my order. <laughs> um, Thank you. On the, I actually placed two because I couldn't help myself. Um, so feel free to get your orders in on uh, cupcakemoon.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Rick, Thanks, it's been guys. an awesome chat. Disappointed yep. we didn't get Kylie on. Kylie, are you going to say hello? No. <laughs> Hi, Kylie. Yeah. Crafty saying hello. Hi. Everyone's saying hello. You can kind of just come and stand here and say hello. They can hear you, but um, yeah. We, I, I did. I think I heard a yell from the other room. So, yeah. <laughs> thank you that so was much for me to make her another gin, probably. So, um, <laughs> yeah. no, thanks for the opportunity. And if anyone's coming up to Queensland, um, feel free to call in. We love showing people around and. You know, we're not that far away. We're only three and a half hours from Brisbane, so we're not. A lot of people think Bundaberg's mm. 16 hours from nowhere, so we're not that far. And we're in a lovely part of the world. We're right at the start of the Great Barrier Reef. So mm. yeah, a lot of people are very surprised when they get here that, um, yeah, just what we've got to offer as a town and a region. So. We're not a little small country hick town. We've got a hundred thousand in population on the reef and the beach, and yeah, beautiful mm. part of the world. Lovely. Well, and, I'm and looking forward to sampling the flavour of Bundy. Nearly as good as Crafty's caravan in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's not impressive. You're going to have a wet night. I, by the I think I need a digital backdrop for when I do this in future. <laughs> <laughs> Character. I get caught out. Anyway, 
Thanks, Rick. Appreciate no it. Thanks, guys. Right. Thank you, everyone, Thank for joining you. us. Please Thank like you. and subscribe. We will be back yeah. in a couple of weeks. Who have we got online next, Crafty? Do you uh, know? Got to check. We just do. Got to double check. All right. I won't say who then. I'll let you yeah. double check first. Yeah, uh, no worries. Good. Thank you all, and uh, hopefully we will see you again in two weeks' time on the 29th of September, if we're lucky, if all goes well. Otherwise, we'll find someone else. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you all. Cheers. Thanks. See you around.